Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and today my guest comes from Jackson Hole, Wyoming by way of Alaska. Brittany Muma is just as comfortable on a pair of skis as she is behind the camera. She is a producer, photographer, and professional athlete who's traveled the world with her different projects. She's been everywhere from Nairobi to Nepal and has worked with the likes of Kit Delorier and Jimmy Chin. Jimmy's the guy you might recognize as one of the directors of Free Solo. These days, she's a partner and associate producer with One-Eyed Bird, but her story of how she ended up in the career she's got is anything but a straight line and testament to the fact that you can reinvent yourself at any time. Here's her story. Let's start with the outdoors and where you're from. How would you describe Eagle River, Alaska to somebody from out of town? Oh man, well, I think I would describe Eagle River as, you know, it's a pretty quaint little town. It's about 30 minutes north of Anchorage. And it's small, it's, um, it's very homey, you know, it's a small community. You have easy access to Anchorage and, mm-hmm. and everything that Anchorage has, but you're just a little bit more, it's, it's kind of like a suburb of Anchorage, and uh, it's a great place to grow up. So close to the city, but immersed more or less in the outdoors, or maybe a, a bit closer to the outdoors than you would get from being in Anchorage proper. I would say so, for sure, yeah. yeah. What came first for you? Was it was it athletics? Was it photography? Uh, how do you trace uh, one or the other in terms of your life? Yeah, I would say it was definitely athletics. I grew up ski racing and I also was uh, running. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I after high school, I went to Boston College, which is, um, you know, real big city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I was running track and cross country there. And I... I ended up double majoring in finance and marketing in my senior year. I had an internship with the Boston Red Sox because I was kind of, you know, I was going down a path of I wanted to work for a major sports team in the marketing department. Mm -hmm. And so a few months before my graduation, though, I started having all this internal struggle and turmoil, and I couldn't really figure it out, but I knew I missed skiing and I knew I missed the mountains. And so I called my mom and I said, you know, like, I think I want to be a professional big mountain skier. And at first she was like, what? Like, (laughs) you know, you don't even race anymore. Like, and I'm like, no, no, big mountain. And she's like, what? Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, But after a few days of talking to her, you know, she ended up, she was surprisingly trusted me and fully supported me but it was definitely a shock to the system (laughs) how realistic was that proposition at the time of uh, of making the switch from finance and marketing to big mountain skiing it was it was possible but it was going to take a lot of hard work and um my family had you know really bent over backwards to help me figure out how to get through school financially Mm -hmm. and um so to kind of be like I'm totally bailing on all of this. It, it, it wasn't like, it wasn't exactly what she wanted to hear, but we figured it out. And, um, and it was like, okay, like, I don't know what, how this is going to go, but I trust you. And right. so I ended up moving out to Jackson Hole, 
with an internship with Dirk Collins. Just to, just to clarify first, was this uh, pre-graduation or had, was this just after school? Was it, where was it in the chronology? It was, it was literally, um, it was, I think, four days after I graduated. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. And so I moved out to Jackson and I got an internship with Dirk Collins who originally started Teton Gravity Research. So, you know, he was uh, in the ski world. And I realized that I had an opportunity, though, to not only ski every day, but also work in a world that would, you know, open the doors to travel and trying to make the world a better place through media. And um, I thought that was really enticing. Yeah. But I didn't know anything about production or cameras or photographs. And I had to completely start from the beginning. Right. And at first I was given a crop sensor camera and a 50 mil. And that's all I was allowed to shoot with for the first year. And if, if you know it much about cameras and you know, then that's not very much to work with. Yeah. So maybe, maybe just break that down for a second. What, what is a crop sensor camera and 50 mil if somebody's not a, a specialist? So like a full sensor camera is different from the sense that you, um, you're able to, to see more image through through your camera. So mm-hmm. a crop sensor, you're gonna see way less, you know, of the of what you're actually seeing with your eyes. Okay. Yeah. Um and then and then a 50 mil is a, a fixed fixed lens. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. so so you you know you only have that focal length to deal with. So those two combined, you have a pretty small window that you can see. And yeah. so I had to get really, really creative. And I think that because I was only because my my boss only let me shoot with with that setup for the first year. So I had to get really creative. And and I think that that helped me a ton. And um, at this point, you know, I can't really imagine my life without photography. Yeah. And um, I couldn't be more grateful because I'm still working there today. And it's seven years later. How creatively inclined were you prior to uh, joining One-Eyed Bird and, uh, and meeting Dirk? Like, what, was photography an entirely novel thing, or were you were you doing other things related that that seemed like a natural fit? It was actually, you know, pre pre One-Eyed Bird. It was I never actually viewed myself as a creative person. I, I've never been good at art, like drawing or painting or doing any of that kind of thing. That's never been my passion, and then. My mom always wanted me to do uh, photography classes in high school, and I was like, "No, like that's what you enjoy. Like I don't, I don't really want to do that." And then I, I was more focused on um, athletics and yeah. um, ski raced for a long time, and um, that didn't work out. So then I focused on running, and so those were kind of and school, and so those were kind of my big things, and so. Um, now it's like a you know photography and having a camera is like second nature. So right. um, it was definitely it was definitely fate that brought me there. Yeah. I would say. So I mean, primarily the the move out to Wyoming was to be back in the mountains and to be skiing again. Mm-hmm. When did you first get on to skis? Yeah, I first got on skis at one years old. My family, my dad and my mom were really big cross country skiers, mm-hmm. and my dad um, has always been a very avid downhill skier as well and um i started i was on skis but then i didn't really start ski racing until about i think probably 10 years old and then or eight 
And then, you know, I was out there, you know, every weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and all holidays, you know, as long as I can ever remember Mm -hmm. um, being on the hill. And, um, and And, I loved it. And what's, uh, what is ski season like? How long does it run uh, in that part of Alaska? Um, In that part of Alaska, I grew up at uh, Alieska Ski Resort. And um, it lasts from probably about January to March, you know, Um, December sometimes. But uh, it's a phenomenal ski hill. It, it, it really is. Another interesting part, I, I, I'd read you were in grade seven when you'd asked your mom whether she would be okay if you became a ski bum for life. Right. <laughs> what did she say to you at the time? Um, she, said, I, I, she said that you can do whatever you want. And she's like, I will always support you. And it was funny because I actually didn't remember that question. And she told it to me when we were kind of... Uh, talking and, and struggling with yeah. my my post graduation plans that ended up coming up but uh you know this is a little shock to the system when when you've when you've been dishing out so much money for a school and you're just like all right I'm out and she's like what <laughs> <laughs> but but it but it went really well and um now she she still is just like I couldn't be more happy um for what you are doing and you're definitely doing what you're supposed to be doing which always definitely makes me feel good yeah I mean because uh, yeah you were on more or less a pretty well-trod path if you will of, of finance and marketing and if you compare that to I think any creative endeavor or to pursuing skiing for that matter too it's it's a break from the relative safety and security so to speak of the business route a hundred percent can you tell me a bit more about that time period the decisions that you had to make or how you eventually did come to decide this is what i want to be doing and this is where i need to be yeah it 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 really all started pretty it was you know like i said it was just this turmoil that i couldn't figure out and because i i didn't really know why I was having it, you know, and it was more of just like a sense of like, like I had, I had a great time in Boston and I still love that city. It is such a cool city, but it was like, you just don't really belong here. Like this isn't home. Mm. And I I did a lot of research and reached out to a lot of uh, professional skier girls at that time asking like, Hey, if this is the path I want to go, you know, do you have any suggestions of where I should even move? And you know, there was like Snowbird and Tahoe and Jackson and um, Whistler. And so I kind of went through all the pros and cons of, of each place mm-hmm. and um, and landed on Jackson, thankfully, because I love it here for sure. Did, did you know people before you moved there? No, I no. didn't know anything. <laughs> so you moved yeah. to this new place. Uh, you, you go to Jackson, Wyoming, and here you are. How exactly did you meet Dirk and and then become an intern at One-Eyed Bird? Well, that's actually even a crazier story, to be honest, because, um, you know, I'm I am not a big Twitter person. Um, I actually don't even like Twitter. I don't even actually have it at this <laughs> point. I deleted that a while ago. But um, once I had decided, before I even left Boston, um, so be- right before graduation, I had decided that I was going to move to Jackson. And my little Twitter bio said, Alaska, Boston, soon to be Jackson Hole or something for mm-hmm. my location. And Alaskans, if you know us, we all, we have a very special bond. You know, it's kind of like a, you know, you can say like an American bond or whatever, but like Alaskans, 
you meet a fellow Alaskan, pretty much immediately you're going to be having beers with them and like that, you know, you have a couch to stay on. And so Dirk is actually from Alaska as well. And um, somehow he found my profile on Twitter and was like, oh, there's this chick that's moving to Jackson from Alaska. Like, and so he reached out to me completely randomly and was like, do you want to intern for me? And I like looked up his name, like I Googled him and was like, yeah, sure. Like I would love Uh that. And that's, that's, so then I had an internship for waiting for me for when I got out here. Tell me a little bit about the intricacies of what that was, what your internship implied. I mean, you're handed this camera, a 50 millimeter camera, so fixed, whatever's coming through the lens is what you're shooting. What, what sorts of things uh, do you start doing as part of that internship? And, and how does that uh, cascade into what you do today? Yeah, um, it really, you know, it, I, I didn't have a lot of opportunities to even shoot at first because it was like, here you go, you have it. But, you know, I was more um, in the office a lot and just trying to figure out the intricacies of how the whole business worked. And um, Dirk likes everything done a specific way. And, um, so, and he doesn't really, you know, it's, if it's not going to get done how he wants it done, then he'd rather just do it himself. Uh (laughs) So to be honest, there was a lot of things at first that like, I just did a lot of watching and listening and learning because like, I wasn't, they didn't trust me to do anything Uh at first. And so I didn't really, um, so I had to work up to that. And then it, it, ended up cascading just learning the business end and then I got to work my way onto more jobs and and through that I've just worked really hard at um, earning and solidifying my place not only on like the production side like as a producer and a coordinator um, and dealing with prepping and planning for all the projects and places we go mm-hmm. but also um, being on the camera team which for me, um, is my favorite place to be on a shoot is with the camera team. So that's my happy, my happy place is when I get to shoot. So what does uh, being a producer or a coordinator look like? What what are the responsibilities that all of that involves? The responsibilities of producing and coordinating would be, you know, you're, you're booking plane tickets and hotels and cars and managing all logistics for trips. You're helping get carnets if you're going to different foreign countries you know you're making plans you're working with you're the middleman as well between the client and the production team of uh making sure that the creative direction is going the right way and 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 everything is getting done mm-hmm. and the the thing is nowadays which is really cool is uh we work um a lot of times in really remote locations and so the team isn't very big oftentimes. And so, you know, you everybody pitches in and is doing 10 people's job, you know, and instead of just a couple people's job. So like you often have all sorts of different tasks and everybody are, are, are helping each other out. And those are really my favorite kind of productions and shoots. So, I mean, you didn't start out being a producer from the, from the jump or being a coordinator. If it's an internship position when you started, what kept you coming back? What what kept you there, you know, longer than a traditional internship might have lasted uh, to want to keep on doing something that, I mean, you didn't have a background or education in? 
Right. I think it was the promise of, I, I, well, a couple things. I think it was one, the promise of seeing that, okay, if I work hard and production is a lot of just getting down to the nitty gritty and working hard. And if I work hard, then I can figure this out and I'll be able to have some really amazing experiences. And then the other side of that is I could also see that the people that I was working with, you know, it wasn't just, you know, we're making dog food commercials, you know, it's <laughs> like we're trying our hardest to, to really push through projects and things that are the most important to us and that will make the world a better place or, or try to make the world a better place. And, yeah. and that's, you know, doing good is, is hard, but um, it's, you know, it's, it's the most important thing to have meaning. So what were some of those early projects, if you could look back and uh, describe one or two that meant something to you that gave you that feeling of, yeah, I want to keep on doing this? Oh, well, um, I would say the most memorable moment that I've ever really had in this job, which was really hard, was in May in 2016, actually, mm -hmm. in Nairobi, Kenya. And it was during the ivory burn. And Kenya wanted to make a statement to the world that, you know, we will not stand for poaching. And they burned 105 tons of elephant ivory and something like 1.3 tons of rhino horn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I was documenting that, you know, you're, you're so in the moment and running around that you really don't process what you're witnessing. And it wasn't until I got back to the hotel and I started looking through my photos that I realized what I had just been a part of. And I, I cried my eyes out that night. And it was, it was the beginning of random bursts of tear and anger, really, against those responsible, but those also who just don't understand and don't care. And it was, it was kind of like working. I really had to work through that experience. I mean, it was kind of like having PTSD, to be honest, because... I was so mad and, and I would come back to Jackson and, you know, it's, it's, it's wealthy and everybody's super happy and most people are on vacation. And it was just like, I just get angry because it's like, how do you not see what's happening? You mm -hmm. know? And that was really hard, but it was also like, you know, I can't, I have to remember that I can't change the world by myself, you know, because I can't, and I can't control anyone else and I can only do what I can. But that was though that kind of experience is what I want to continue to do and, and the most important thing to me about what I do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think along those lines, one of the best things of travel and, and best seems a bit uh, misfitting of a word in the sense, but I think the main reason we travel is for the change in perspective that it brings. Mm -hmm. uh, what what has travel changed in you or or sparked in you? Well, I think like you know, through work, I think I've been to something like 12 different countries over my time there. Mm -hmm. um, from everywhere, from Kenya, Jordan, Brazil, Nepal, Iceland. And, uh, you know, you, you really learn so much when you travel. And, and to me, the most important thing about that is 
what you do with all that knowledge and experience that you gain through traveling to other places and becoming a, a global a global citizen. And what what does it mean to be a global citizen? Um, to me, being a global citizen really means having an open mind and being willing to learn and garner more knowledge and information in a way that you can then share it to the masses and bring bring awareness to topics that are important to you, which to me would be the climate, conservation, and humanity. So it's not just about going somewhere and learning something for yourself, but but I think the the act of then sharing that with others too. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And you know, to be honest, it's it's not easy. You know, people don't like uncomfortable topics. Like how many times have you been sitting watching TV and then all of a sudden you see, you know, the UNICEF or the Sarah McLaughlin animal shelter commercial and you're like, oh my God, mute, change, you right. know, because it makes you so sad. And the immediate reaction to, to stuff that makes you sad is to turn away. And I see that, you know, on my Instagram all the time. And, and the photos, I find that the photos that mean the most to me are the ones that usually don't get very much engagement, mm -hmm. uh, which can be really discouraging. But then, you know, you'll get those messages every now and then that it makes you realize like, okay, you know, it's worth it. Even if one person is like, hey, like that, that changed my outlook or that helped me in some way that that definitely means something. Let's talk about Instagram for a second and the way that it interacts in your line of work. You know, the the images that you're able to share from the places that you go, I think people would get a sense that you are constantly on the road and, and you know, living a life that anybody would, would envy. What is what is the behind the scenes of how much work goes into at the the days that you spend uh, on the road, whether it's production or, or coordinating things or behind a camera? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah. So um, the reality of things is, is it's you know I hear all the time um, you're living the dream, and 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 I am, I am, and I'm very proud of that, and I've worked really hard for that, but. It's definitely not all beautiful, you know, and it's it's working in this industry is a hustle. It's a daily hustle. And so, yeah, you know, like I'm not going to post a picture of my cabinet empty right. <laughs> or my fridge empty with no food. Like nobody wants to see that. And Instagram for me, it's a brand, you know, it's it's I have to work. I don't, you know, necessarily enjoy spending time on Instagram, but I know that I need to do it to help get more business. Mm. Um, but, but it's, it's, it's not all flowers and happy and amazing. You know, I mean, being on the road a lot is really hard. Um, it's hard on your body. It's hard on your relationships. It's hard on your mind. It's hard on everything. Um, because you're not here a lot, you know, it's hard to, it's, it sucks when people are like, Hey, I would really love to come visit you. You know, whether it's family or friends and mm -hmm. they're like how's you know next you know january 5th and i'm just like dude i have no idea if i'm gonna be here right um and 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 that's always hard because most people want to plan way out and i can plan about two weeks out if uh -huh. that and then you know it's it's definitely um a struggle and it 
it's a lot of hard work and it's, it's amazing. And you get a lot of um, amazing experiences for sure, but it's definitely not what people think it is. And, and like you had mentioned earlier, you know, I don't think, I don't think most people would actually, it takes a, takes a different kind of human to actually even enjoy what I do because it's, it's very unstable and, um, and there is no routine and, you, you know, you do have at times, uh, you know, reoccurring clients, but generally, you know, each new project is like starting a new business. Yeah. And so with no security, you know, it's, 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 there's definitely hard days for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd be interested uh, about some of the job elements, like, and I don't know if there's any generalities, but if you're on a job, is there any kind of general length of time? If, let's say you're going to another country for a trip, how long those trips tend to be? Or more broadly, how many days out of the year you, you would say that you're on the road uh, doing some kind of contract of work? Yeah. Um, well, it really just depends job to job. And, and sometimes it's sometimes you're you know really excited because you're there for so long. And that can be daunting in its own sense. Um, like last fall... I was in Nepal for two and a half months. That's amazing, but that's also you know totally different food, totally different lifestyle, totally like your work when you're when you are on set and shooting. You know you want to wake up, you know for the best light and be and shoot that best light almost every day, right? So that's always sunrise and sunset, and then you got stars, and so it's like I mean you're 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 rocking you know eighteen hour days a lot of times, and so that's it gets exhausting first of all. Yeah. Greenland this past spring because of how everything worked out you know we had to go there wasn't a direct flight into Iceland to then go to Greenland so we had to go all the way to Copenhagen and then back to Greenland so if you look at a map it's like we went all the way over and then came like halfway back (laughs) yeah yeah and then you only have like then we only have I think four days on the ground and so you travel for, we ended up traveling for four days and then skiing for four days. And so it's, you know, I'd much rather have been there for, for way longer if that would have been um, easier um, in the long run. So they're all different. Some are short, some are long, but overall I would say I'm probably home in Jackson close to 150 days a year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, one of the things I, I continue to look for, and I think we all look for, is finding uh, work and, and finding something that's meaningful. And I think it's one thing to travel. It would be fun for a while, but eventually I think you're still looking for meaning. I think that, you know, the, the trip to Nairobi would be an example of that for you. But how have you found purpose in the work that you do? Or how do you answer the why of what you do? I would answer why because I think that um, I try to speak up for those who don't really have a voice. The earth doesn't have a voice. Um, well, it does, but people I feel like don't listen. And then, and, and animals we don't listen to, which have a loud voice as well. And those are two of my biggest, biggest things um, is conservation and the environment. And uh, and speaking up for those that can't really talk is is really important to me because really the planet um, it's it's our it's our mom. And and if we don't. If everyone doesn't, you know, do something to to make a difference, then um, then then it's gonna not, it's gonna be terrible. So, speaking up for those who don't have a voice and and really just not 
living day to day and thinking like, you know, like, what am I doing? Mm. You know, like, even if I don't feel sometimes like what I'm doing is actually doing anything, you know, like trying and making an effort is still gives me purpose over just maybe shooting something that's a little bit more egotistical or vain in some way. Sure. Yeah. I think if there's, if there's an intention there of some sort, yeah, I think, uh, but I don't know. These are questions I still try to answer for myself all the time too. So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a daily, um, struggle, I think, to always try to keep figuring all those things out. Yeah. Okay, two trips I want to find out more about, and you uh, mentioned both of them already a little bit, but if we could speak first about your trip to Nepal. Tell me how that one came together, what you were doing there, and the memorable bits of it. Yeah, um, so we went to Nepal last fall. A gentleman named Steve Furman had, uh, he used to be a big part of the American Alpine Club, and um, a climber known for having first ascents on unnamed, unclimbed, remote peaks. And he was doing that for a long time and then focused on his business for a while and kind of lost sight of what he really loved to do. And then he was uh, diagnosed with prostate cancer that then spread to his bloodstream, I believe. Mm. And... um, And he got really, really, really sick. And so he came to Dirk and I asking if we would go to Nepal as he wanted to make one last attempt on a peak, on a remote peak in far western Nepal. And um, we were like, okay, but like, let's think about it. You know, what's the story here? You know, like it's, it's. It's bigger than just Steve wanting to do one last climb. And and really the point of the story was, uh, you know, Steve wanted to send out a message to the world of, you know, live every day to its fullest. Don't let this world pass you by because you're like, hey, I, I'll do that in, you know, next time or a few years or a few days. Like live, like live now while you can. And so we flew to far western Nepal and uh, ended up spending the next 35 days. I think we covered we covered over 300 miles through jungle and mountains and um, and tried to climb this peak. And uh, unfortunately, um, at about 18,000 feet, about 2,000 feet from the summit, Steve got too sick and, mm-hmm. and couldn't summit. But the, the journey was really what mattered. And um, yeah, we're still, we're still working on that. That was, that was amazing project though, in the sense that, uh, you know, you're, you're so high in altitude at times and you know, there's no, no nothing anywhere. Right. And then we were in the jungle at like, got all the way down to, I think 3,100 feet was mm-hmm. the lowest. And I mean, I, I'm not a bug person. I I don't love bugs. I'm, I've gotten better through my travels, but they're definitely not. Never been a bug person, and yeah. so in Nepal, though, like I, full meditation because every time you pick up your camera, there'd be so many flies <laughs> that like you put the camera up to your face, and I'd, I'd have to close my left eye because I look through the viewfinder at my right, yeah. and there'd be flies, I'd cl- close my mouth, there'd be flies crawling in my ears and up my nose and trying to get in my mouth. I mean, you'd have a mil- millions of you on you in seconds. Yeah. And uh, I didn't like anything about that, to be honest. 
it teaches a certain kind of patience and focus, I would imagine. It definitely does. Okay, the other trip uh, to, to Greenland, which is another place, I mean, Nepal being one of them, but another place that people rarely get to go to, uh, I think, such a fascinating country and, and climate. Tell me about that trip, what brought you there and what it was like. Yeah, so Greenland, um, it's kind of like the eighth continent, you know, like you don't really know much about it and you're like, I know it's going to be cold and kind of like Alaska, but, you know, what is it going to be like? And um, we had the opportunity to go over there with uh, Jimmy Chin and Kit Delorier Mm -hmm. for a DJI, which is a drone company, um, a DJI project. And so we went over there and got to uh, ski coolars and um, film a film piece for DJI um, when we were over there. And it was I mean, it was phenomenal. Um, the landscape is so dramatic, just huge coolars and mountains jetting out of the ocean. And Alaska is a lot like that in some ways, but there's definitely just something about it that's a that's a little different. Hmm. And the time of year that we ended up going, it was a they were going through a shed cycle in the snow, so we had to really be careful with um, avalanche conditions and and where we skied and and didn't get to actually do everything we wanted to. But um, it was one of the best trips I've actually been on. Great crew all around. It was it was really fun. Being on a on a trip with both Jimmy and Kit, uh, two seasoned adventurers, what were the sorts of things that you were soaking up from them? Or what was it like just to even to be able to share that time with them? Oh, yes. Um, I completely try to soak up everything I can learn from Jimmy and Kit um, and people like them every time I get uh, opportunities with those kinds of people. Just little things, just just watching Kit um, every time she would move or do certain things, like whether it was climbing or even just skinning, you know, I'm just kind of try to watch for little things and tips and stuff that I can be like, okay, like that was a lot easier than um, she made that look a lot easier than it was. Or, you know, maybe if I practice that, I can get better at that, too. And and then also, you know, always Jimmy's always willing to chit chat about cameras and settings. And he's like, oh, like you, you'll show him something and he'll be like, what would you shoot that at? Or maybe you do this. You know, I, he, he definitely I was taking some portraits of him for keels and he's just like, make sure you never shoot under, you know, this many millimeters and blah, blah, blah. Like, and I'm just like, okay, yeah, sure, sure. But it's like little tips that they either say, or you just uh, absorb that you constantly have to be looking for that stuff when you, when you get to hang out and do amazing things with those kinds of uh, amazing people. Yeah. So, I mean, so far we've talked a lot about the the photography and and videography element, but how about as an athlete to be in these places and to to be skiing or to be doing uh, the mountain treks? What has that been like? For yeah, that's that's really my favorite part about it. You know, is is and as a filmer in that kind of world, you know, you have to not only be able to keep up with the the greats like Jimmy and Kit, um, the legends, but but you know, go ahead of them and go behind, get behind and catch up, and it's it's really hard work, you know, and 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 I get definitely get intimidated sometimes in my environment like on a super steep couloir and I'm thinking to myself you know like I have a 50 pound camera pack right now and it's about 50 degrees and icy and you know like it's it's intimidating it's scary um and I think what I've learned through doing those kinds of things is 
just to stop and breathe. And usually you're, you can figure it out and trust yourself, you know, in overexposure, but, but having the confidence to work through problems and environments where the consequences are, you know, real is, is completely necessary. Hmm. Yeah, because that, that, that answers an important question is uh, how to face fear and risk in the outdoors when there is at times an element of danger. Are you more on the end of the, the risk taking or more on the end of the, the risk avoidance <laughs> side of things? Yeah, um, well, I've definitely always been more of a risk taker. Mm-hmm. I think anybody who knows me would definitely say that. But it doesn't mean it's all come easy by any means. I mean, we had a joke starting out. Dirk would always say, it's not an adventure until Brit is crying, um, <laughs> which I've come a long way. But I still often can find myself in situations that test me and make me better all the time um, because you things get scary and you have to you just have to be able to calmly and quietly um, figure it out or get someone, you know, to, to help you through it, you know, cause you never want to be as a filmer, you know, you never want to be the, the weak link of anything um, right. because everybody's counting on you. Yeah. What's the, what's the story that you, t- you know, you tell when people ask you, when you come back and you say, I got to tell this story of the, the most harrowing or gnarliest moment that you've had uh, on an expedition, something like that. Ooh, um, to be, to be totally honest, uh, I think I've thought that I was going to die enough times at this point that I try to block them out of my memory. (laughs) Um, I kind of try to like, be like, okay, I'm not going to worry about that. Um, but there's, I mean, there's plenty of times that I've even just been, in Kular's and in like the Eastern Sierras where it's been like, you know, you know, pummeling downwind right on top of you and you're looking like, and uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a big person. And so, you know, with a bunch of stuff on my back and going up something that steep and getting, you know, it's super windy. Like I've, I've literally have had, visualizations that I'm just going to like fly off my feet and start tumbling down. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then thankfully that's never happened, but uh but those are the kind of of things that definitely sometimes happen. Yeah. Uh you know, anytime one year transitions to another, I think it's a natural opportunity uh not just to look forward but also to look back and reflect on things. What would you say 2018 has taught you or more broadly, what have you learned at this stage uh in your life? I think one of the biggest things I've learned is emphasizing remaining calm in in, in difficult situations. And whether that's you just got an email that you didn't that you know said she spun you out the wrong way, mm-hmm. or being in the field and something happens, really being able to remain calm, cool, collected is exponentially important. And going back to what I said about, you know, breathing, because, yeah. you know, there's little things like Jimmy, Jimmy Chin's told me so many times just, and it sounds so simple, but it's just, you know, remember to trust your feet. And it's like, okay, like, you know, you're like, okay, whatever. Like at first I remember, like, I think I rolled my eyes at him yeah. when he said that, like trust your feet. And then, but all the time now I'll find myself and I'll be like, Ooh, just trust your feet. And you're like, okay, like that's not actually going to, go like just fall out from underneath me okay i'm i'm good with that so 
Yeah. Yeah. In the spirit of a new year, uh, resolutions, if any, for 2019. I would have to say, I think just being a better person and making the world a better place. And I know that sounds so broad, <laughs> but it's a daily struggle. Yeah. And um, it's not easy to survive on passion. You know, I mean, I, I, I do get other job opportunities sometimes and I'm like, you know, um, in a low point, you know, where I can't like, I'm just don't have a lot of jobs at the moment. And I'm like, Ooh, that would be really nice to be able to make, you know, X amount every year guaranteed. And so it's, it's not easy to survive on passion, but it's, it's a hustle. It's a grind. And it's a constant thing of just trying to be better, a better version of myself. Um, because I think everybody can always be more kind, more patient, more thoughtful, more grateful, but we have to practice it every day and if everybody did that kind of thing i think the world would be a better place that's it for the show thanks for listening and i hope you liked it if you enjoyed the show please do me a favor hit subscribe and leave a rating and a review best of all tell someone else you think might enjoy it if you want to get in touch a few ways you can you can send me an email at storyuntoldpodcast at gmail.com you can follow along on Facebook at facebook.com slash storyuntoldpodcast, or you can also find me on Twitter at Martin underscore Bauman. Theme music for the show is by Dr. Turtle off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman, and this was A Story Untold. See you next time. <laughs>